Welcome to Opening the Door podcast. Join me as we unlock the door to our psychic and mediumship abilities. Today, you'll hear a conversation I had with Kobe about occult herbalism and poisonous plants. Ooh, this conversation was fascinating and we cover a lot. It felt like a total crash course in occult herbalism, poisonous plants, how to use them, like why we use them and and all this really cool stuff. So I think you're going to love this conversation. Enjoy and remember, don't be afraid to open your door. This week's episode is sponsored by our friends by Modestine, a lifestyle wellness brand promoting self-care and healing through tea rituals and traditional mindfulness practices. Use code BYMODESTINE for 15% off your next order. I have personally tried a few of these blends and they are delicious and beautifully blended and they feel so spiritual. I'll put the discount code in the show notes for you. Enjoy the show. Today, we are welcoming Kobe to Opening the Door podcast. Kobe Michael is an occult herbalist and magical practitioner specializing in the ritual use of poisonous and psychoactive plants. He studied religion at Arizona State University and has been a folk herbalist from a young age. He owns and operates the Poisoner's Apothecary, an online shop and educational resource for The Poison Path. Kobe has been blogging since 2016 for Pathios Pagan and the House of Twigs and has written articles for This Witch Magazine in 2020. His first book, The Poison Path Herbal, came out in 2021. He currently resides in St. Petersburg, Florida and travels the country teaching people about poisonous plants. Kobe, welcome to Opening the Door. Hi, Haley. Thanks for having me. That was a super relaxing intro. Oh, <laughs> you thank you. Awesome radio voice. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. <laughs> I am so excited to have you on and learn all about your work and how you came to this. And this is a subject that we have not covered at all on the podcast. So you are our first here to talk about like herbs, specifically poisonous and psychoactive stuff and this is a really interesting topic to me, so I'm super excited to, you know, dive in and learn all about it. Hey, hell yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to talk about it, and answer whatever questions that you have. Well, I have so many, so let's <laughs> get into it. First, I sort of want to just start out with your own spiritual journey. Where did all of this start for you, and how did you get to where you are today in your practice? Well, rewind um, a few decades, and I grew up in more of a like a conservative Christian household. We went to church every Sunday, and that was just like a big part of my sort of childhood narrative and kind of like becoming an individual human being. Um, that was a big part of it, but I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions about death and what happened to us afterwards, and I wasn't really satisfied with any of the answers that I was getting. And that sort of started like this domino effect um, that led me to really question everything. But, you know, the one thing that was always evident was just sort of the the sacredness of the natural world. Um, so I always sort of felt this, this kind of connection and this, this power and this sort of, you know, otherness that was important. And, you know, looking back, it's something that's always kind of been in there, even when I didn't understand what it was or, or have words to put to it. But I, I really, I guess, found magic and witchcraft as a 
spiritual path and you know it's just an actual practice because at the beginning it was more you know spells for love protection all of the you know the the less spiritual more material things um, but you know I was about 10 10 years old uh, when I started really kind of looking into that as as this serious thing that wasn't just like you know hocus pocus and all of the amazing you know movies and and pop culture witches that are out there and and just throughout my childhood and early teen years was very much interested in meditation and, and nature-based spirituality and crystals and history and all of that. And it just sort of, it just kept growing and entangling in all of these other things. <laughs> Love it. So cool. Thank you for giving us sort of a, a little bit of a background. I think it's always so, I think it's healing in a way for people just to hear people's, how they, you know, were brought up and and what they were able to to do with that information and one inf- interesting thing I feel like I I pulled from your bio was that you studied religion in uh, at the University of Arizona I believe it was so what, do you think sort of that study of religion informs your practice today at all or sort of what was the draw to you know get some further education in that yeah so I did that in my like early mid 20s um I was working as a cosmetology instructor and I've just always kind of had like this this back burner interest in um not only you know nature-based spirituality and witchcraft but um, you know world religion as a whole and the history of it and how it's affected the development of society on like a grand scale and an individual scale and then also looking at them um, you know drawing different parallels and similarities and you know it's just 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 a really fascinating topic and when you really study like global witchcraft traditions you know you're essentially drawing from like all of these these different older sources too that were kind of like the original seed for it all. <laughs> yes, I also just sort of love like history in general and also just the thought of yeah, like how do these systems specifically like organized religion and stuff that, you know, people create how do they affect the rest of the world because they really have hu- had a massive effect on human beings at an individual level and at a at a global scale. So yes, absolutely fascinating. So cool that you were able to sort of get, get into that and and understand it on a deeper level. Can you tell us what an occult herbalist is? Let's get that sort of definition. I think that'll help inform the rest of our, our chat today. Yeah. So I don't know if that existed necessarily as a title before I, I started using it, but I mean, it's a fairly like general statement, you know, there's the earlier text by Paul Sadir, I think was like a 19th century French author that did occult botany. <clears throat> uh, but essentially to me, it is the study of the hidden properties and influences of plants, um, you know, beyond just their their energetics, but really getting into their, their spiritual qualities and characteristics and how they have come up, you know, throughout history and in various traditions in ritual and ceremony and and kind of what that means for magical practice, Um, you know, beyond just, uh, you know, anyone can communicate with the plant spirit for healing, anyone can connect with nature, but really, really kind of like honing that in into like a practical occult practice. Very cool. 
Where do you think that your love of plants came from and how did you sort of begin to teach yourself about poisonous and like psychoactive plants specifically? So my love of plants came from my grandma and grandpa, like super, 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 very young. Uh, my grandpa's always been a gardener. His mom before that was a, a gardener, farmer, just like a long line of, of agricultural people. So this kind of connection to like the land and the cycles and the harvest was always, always a big thing. Um, and it just kind of like developed and grew quietly in the background, sort of alongside like my witchcraft interest. But, you know, initially I was all about the correspondences. Like I was just like recording correspondences, like what was this good for? What was it used for in this tradition, that tradition, planetary, elemental. So it was just kind of like this obsession of um, information collecting for a while. And then I guess once I had accumulated like enough of that over over the years and it all sort of like mashed around in my brain, then I was like, oh, OK, like this could could actually be like the entirety <laughs> you know, of, of my practice and it being like very green and, and very plant based and poisonous plants came in probably I think it was like maybe 10 or about 10 years into sort of my, my magical practice occult study. Uh, it was right around the time that I was in school uh, at Arizona State and um, was growing some poisonous plants and studying. I was studying, like, in addition to what I was doing at school, I was working with some different hoodoo texts. And then also I was on my whole journey uh, with traditional witchcraft, uh, which we can get into, like, what that actually is. But it was sort of all of that kind of intersected and, and smashed together with the poisonous plants and then it all all sort of made sense and fell into place and I was like okay like there's there's actually something here um and I'm not the only person that's that's like noticing this or realizing this and it was right around the time too that, that Daniel Schulke published his book Beneficium which I think was first in 2017 so it was just kind of like this nexus of all of these things that the the poisonous plants just kind of became this like physical material representation of these spiritual forces and um, you know these different things throughout history that I connected to and just everything that was important to me. <laughs> Amazing. I I just love hearing how people sort of find their passion and their niche in this space because I think like uh sort of when you look at witchcraft and spirituality and sort of these intersecting, you know, places and, and uh there's like it feels endless almost you know there's so many different little coves of information to explore and so I always just find it really cool how people um sort of just come to their niche and their passion in so many different ways like it almost feels the way you're describing like it just fell I'm sure it didn't feel maybe didn't feel like this at the time but it really feels like it fell into place in a really cool way where you realize like oh yeah like I have all this knowledge and and this is like it sort of just bubbles to the top for you mm -hmm. um which is very cool so you talked a little bit about you mentioned sort of like communing with nature spirits or like sort of pulling that communication with nature spirits through can you touch on that a little bit more what that feels like for you and how people might be able to get more in touch with any nature spirits around them yeah so there, you know, connecting to specific plant spirits versus connecting to just kind of general land spirits or uh, genus loci or land or whatever they are called 
you know, in whatever part of the world they're being spoken of. But you know, across cultures, there's this idea that the the landscape, the environment, it has its own consciousness, it has its own sort of characteristic, and that's based on all of these different individual consciousnesses consciousnesses that exist in that space. You know, so a forest is going to have a slightly different land spirit than um, you know, like a seaside versus a desert. So really kind of taking in all of those different sensory cues, really immersing yourself in that environment, um, because that is like one of the, the main ways that, that nature is, is communicating all of this sort of wordless information is through, um, you know, all of these different sensory stimuli. So the most important thing, just being outside, um, being on the land and connected to the earth, uh, you know, whether it's going outside and sitting next to a tree or putting your feet on the grass or burying your feet in the sand, um, just walking around barefoot. Um, there's this really helpful technique that is called, in English, it's called forest bathing, but it comes out of Japan and I don't remember the Japanese for it, um, but it's essentially like this moving meditation out in nature where you're just literally absorbing like all of the the healing qualities and just the the benefits that we just naturally get by being out there you know and how those those land spirits manifest to individual practitioners is going to be different for everyone you know you may see animal visitation or you know you might stumble on like a just a random sort of patch of, of this specific plant that doesn't grow anywhere else that you know has like a very important meaning um, you know so the land will will connect to you in different ways um, and a lot of times through through dreams and, and things like that so being able to sleep outside and you know all different ways to sort of immerse yourself in that outer environment yeah I love that I think a lot of the time we can think as human beings of ourselves as really separate from nature but I think it's so important for everyone, not just like somebody who considers themselves a witch or a psychic or a medium or anything like that. Like we really all need to go and touch grass, <laughs> you know, like we all need to have our hands in the dirt at some point and, and, and really connect in. So super appreciate you kind of giving us a little deep dive into that. So let's get into sort of the lore of some of the herbs and flowers and plants that you sell in your shop and that you use. Can you tell us some of your sort of favorite lore that that surrounds some of these herbs and flowers that you use? Oh, sure. So the, the main family is the nightshade family, the solanacea, and that consists of on the poisonous witchy end belladonna or deadly nightshade, mandrake, henbane, datura. We could put tobacco in there as well. And then on the other end, we have things like tomato, potato, eggplant, pepper. Um, so a really, really big, really important group of plants, you know, medicinally and for food and, and all sorts of different things. So those are kind of the main ones. Oh gosh, my favorite pieces of lore. <laughs> It's usually like the darker stuff, the more sinister stuff, the more dramatic stuff, you know, so like Deadly Nightshade, for example, is very much a plant that it has some really, really great medicinal properties, um, but it is called Deadly Nightshade because it will kill you, um, you know, in, in rather small doses. And that adds, you know, sort of a certain air of, of trepidation and attraction to some people. 
um, but it was used by King Duncan I to defeat an approaching army. King Duncan was Scottish and uh, I think, I don't know if it was mead or wine or the well or what he poisoned with the deadly nightshade, but he poisoned the entire army. Um, so there's that. There's also the isolation of atropine, which is a really important alkaloid um, that led to kind of the beginning of neurology, neuroscience, um, discovering key neurotransmitters and things like that. So its isolation was, was great in that regard, and it's a really important medicine. But as soon as it was isolated, um, we see like all of these murders start to happen. There was a really famous one where I think it might have even been the guy that discovered it or I might be quoting that wrong, but someone murdered their spouse very shortly after this alkaloid was isolated. And it was a very big dramatic deal. You know, so there's that. Uh, Belladonna also has like this, this sexy sort of seductive side because you frequently hear about it being used in, in Italy to dilate the pupils, um, to make people look more appealing, more aroused. You know, it's also, it's also got its own aphrodisiac properties. So consuming it will literally uh, cause arousal and um, reduce inhibitions and things like that. So it's very much sort of this back and forth between, you know, sex and murder and death and, and all of that. So very, very dramatic plant. Um, then there's Statura or Jimson weed, which is called in America. And that's that's probably one of the, the more popular poisonous plants. It seems like everyone really, really loves Statura. And it's got the really beautiful trumpet shaped flowers that come in in different colors, depending on the variety. Uh, but Datura is is probably one of the most you know ceremonially significant plants kind of throughout the world uh, because we see it being used in in India by the Agori and uh, you know various other Hindu practitioners as offerings to Shiva, the goddess Kali. Uh, it's also one of the most significant ethnobotanical or you know traditional indigenous plants throughout the Americas, North and South. It's got a little bit of, we would have called them the, the Romani traveler lore as far as being used for uh, not only physical aphrodisiac effects, but divination and love magic and, and things like that. So Wow. It is love. just a whole, a whole wide <laughs> world, isn't it? Like, I just love what you're describing about sort of like there's this fine line between death and intrigue, you know, mm-hmm. and that's sort of, that's sort of a fun, uh, or I don't know, fun, sorry, word, very interesting energy to play in. So as you're talking, I'm sort of wondering, should everybody be using these herbs? Can everybody use these herbs? And should there be any fear surrounding adding any of this stuff to your practice? So everyone can work with poisonous plants. There are a number of different ways that you can incorporate them into magical practice that don't actually include ingesting them or or coming into contact with dangerous amounts of them. Um, that's where kind of understanding the the chemistry and, and trusting who you're getting things from and you know just like having a level of common sense too. Definitely something that could be incorporated into everyone's practice. You know, it, it is a very, very big umbrella 
and I kind of have my own little niche and, and way of working and, and specific plant allies, but it's, it's something that could be incorporated into sort of what anyone is doing, you know, definitely, you know, just being, being conscious of like what you're putting in your body and, and things like that. But yeah, they're, they're for everyone. <laughs> So how can we use some of these things? Like I was perusing your website last night, you've got oils and, and different sort of packs and, and things like, so how can we use these plants? Um, maybe spe- if you want to speak on anything specific from your website, that would be awesome. Um, but how can we use these in our rituals or how, how are some of the ways that you use them in your practice? Uh, so a lot of the, hmm, how should I start? I have ritual oil formulas that are basically uh, like any other anointing oil. Um, They're the the same concentration and formulation that I use in uh, my medicinal formulations too. So they're not just, you know, just vibrational, um, but they are meant for ritual anointing, candles, the body, um, different ritual tools, spell materials, and things like that. You know, so trying not to get too stuck on like, oh, they're this separate thing. How do we use them? But applying what we already know about how we're using our our current ritual oils to now incorporating these plant allies that have these really, really just insane and long and fascinating stories. Like you just heard, you know, I rambled for a few seconds about a couple of them. And that's just like barely, barely even scratching the tip of the iceberg. Um, (laughs) But you know, all of that is is different correspondence to draw from and uh, the different deities and spirits that they're connected to, you know, so Belladonna can represent something completely different to me that it might represent to you or to this person over here. Um, you know, same thing with Datura, because it especially is, is such a shapeshifter, you know, but they're very much, you know, capable of being these these totally different things. So, you know, you're really only kind of limited by your own understanding of, of kind of how to work with, with different energies and, and correspondences and, and how to incorporate that into existing magical practice. On the other end, there are flying ointments, flower essences, um, some different smoking blends, tea blends, and those are a little bit more for, for trance work, for meditation, spirit communication, you know, some of the more abstract and altered consciousness types of of scenarios that we would find ourselves in. Yeah, let's touch on those a little bit, a little bit more. So for your salves and oils that are sort of meant for that work, do you see it more as, I mean, I really think plants are so powerful. I think we know that from like historically, as we were just talking about, but like in our daily lives, plants are so powerful. So do you find that those salves and oils for application to your body? Like how quickly do they work? What types of experiences should people be expecting? Or is it, does it range really broad because everybody is, you know, so different in the way they experience life? Yeah, so it does range really broad. Um, it's going to depend on a, on a lot of different factors with the individual, where you're getting the formula from, how and where you're applying it, um, all of the different sort of ritual techniques and preparation leading up to that. Because they are such powerful plants, we kind of get this this association or this idea, and you know, too owing to all of the accounts that that talk about like these dramatic scenarios of people smearing their entire body with ointment and then they pass out and fall asleep for seventy two hours. 
know, so that gives us this idea that these are, you know, really, really like be very careful sort of things. All of the publicly available witches' ointments, flying ointments, magical ointments made with with nightshades or any other sort of power plant, psychoactive botanical are going to be more of a a therapeutic uh, medicinal formulation. Uh, so it's not something that someone's going to be able to hurt themselves with, even if they tried to. Um, but that's not to say that through the, the proper formulation um, and application that through the through the phytochemistry, through the active compounds of the plant by themselves, that they are totally capable of knocking you on your ass and giving you some really crazy dreams and some really just just strange experiences. <clears throat> um, I've had some really intense experiences ingesting some of these plants that I wouldn't necessarily recommend to another person that's not doing what I'm doing for the reasons that I'm doing it. Had some really intense experiences that were not necessarily the most comfortable, but very informative. Um, but then also, you know, through working with the flying ointments, I've had some kind of jarring, you know, questionable experiences where I'm like, you know, this is not just, you know, in my mind's eye or that I'm experiencing it on an astral level or that it's a dream. It's kind of when the dream and the reality run into each other and you're like, wait, this was this was different. You know, so definitely capable of that. And a lot of people have very sort of intense experiences, certain, especially magical practitioners are just very sensitive to energies. Um, you know, they can pick up a crystal and they're, they're vibrating in a certain way for the entire day. You know, so when we consider plants that also have the capability to put us to sleep, to kill us, to hypnotize us or to cause a delirium, you know, that's a really, really powerful just energy that is just there. So imagine that on top of you know, spiritual energetic sensitivity and, you know, just a matter of like anointing your temples, your third eye, you know, other energy centers, if you want to, is going to have like an extreme psycho-spiritual effect. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just amazing, like how powerful plants are. We have like two questions coming out of this. The first one is sort of more plant-based. So do you, in, in terms of spirituality and the things that these plants can give you, like sort of opening the door, if you will, to, you know, maybe another realm or the astral plane or something like that. How do you, how do you think that works? Or can you explain for us how a plant is able to help us access that? And then I'll hold on to my, my second question. So I don't ask you a double header. So plants are among our, our oldest, you know, if not one of our original kind of ancestors. Uh, we have evolved alongside of them over millions and millions of years. Uh, so, you know, the very, there's no coincidence that we have the same receptors in our body that match up with this, this random secondary metabolite chemical that this plant just happens to be producing. Um, that is no coincidence. So spiritually as well, you know, we've kind of evolved together too. And if we consider plants as sort of these intermediaries, um, yes, they are physical beings, uh, but they're also very much connected to, you know, sort of the life pulse of the earth, you know, the earth mother, mother nature, Gaia, um, but they're also transmitting and receiving all of this, you know, solar energy from the sun, 
astrological energy from the stars, you know, just whatever is, is happening outside, they're literally taking all of that in, moving that through their bodies, and it's, it's, it's created, it is creating them, so they're essentially just like we are, this, this combination of, of celestial and terrestrial energies, and it is just that, that sort of liminal place that they occupy that, um, you know, even on a, on a very subtle level that they're able to sort of initiate these, these little energetic shifts or, or changes in our thinking um, just through, you know, being in proximity to us. You know, so I think it is, it's kind of, it's almost maybe even a, an evolutionary thing that they're able to, to cause these really, really subtle changes in the way we think. Um, you know, just like looking at a rose is going to make make most people happy unless you have like a traumatic rose scenario. But yeah, they just have a way of, of getting inside of us without us even having to consume them. But, you know, when we do consider even just like drinking a cup of tea, all of the little plants that are in that, they're literally becoming part of you. Oh, yeah. Wow. I absolutely love the way you described like, because I don't know how I never, I, I never thought of that. Like, yeah, plants are taking in the sun's energy and the moon and the stars and they're rooted in the earth. And there really are this like beautiful thing that is so connected to all of that, like running through. And I think the way you described that was just, I'm taking that with me because I absolutely love it. <laughs> they're like little antennas. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, so cool. Thank you so much for that. So uh, another thing that I think people think about a little bit when they are thinking about poisonous plants or psychoactive plants and maybe the history and lore around them is this idea of baneful magic. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit more to that. What are your thoughts on baneful magic? And we might need to sneak a, a little definition in here too uh, for our listeners. Oh, so many things. Yes. <laughs> Baneful essentially boils down to harmful. Old English, uh, we could associate that with like malefic or left hand work or, or hexing, cursing, that sort of thing. But baneful is also something that has sort of this, this sinister other outside kind of quality to, um, you know, so it is much more than, than just harm, you know, whether we're speaking about a baneful herb that's capable of causing harm through its thorns or through its alkaloids, or we're talking about like a baneful person that's that's doing something nasty. Um, you know, it can, can mean all of these different things. So, oh, question, poisonous plants, psychoactive plants. Uh, poison is, is very much a loaded term too, <clears throat> and it kind of has a lot of those same connotations as, as baneful does. So, so part of my work has kind of been like the understanding of that concept in and of itself. There are certain plants that don't have any psychoactive properties that will simply just kill you and make you sick that are called poisonous. And then there are also plants that do have psychoactive properties that can also be very medicinal that are also called poisonous. Um, so poison is all sort of about this idea of power and potency and being willing to kind of step close enough to sort of understand that. So working with those um, because they have sort of this rebellious, antinomian, antithetical, transgressive uh, sort of aura around them, they're able to help us 
you know, connect with some of these energies that we need to, you know, transmit when we're we're doing more of this baneful left-hand path, shadow work, different things like that. So it's it's not always coming from like a malefic, you know, I want to hurt this person, I want to curse this person, sort of a, um, you know, but all of those sort of things that are typically kept in the shadow or, you know, done in secret. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, I love the idea of sort of, like you said, stepping closer and giving a more understanding than just a a blanket statement about something or or sort of understanding. Because I think when you sort of step into witchcraft, I feel like there's almost these, there's a f- few different, there's like the love and light, right? Where it's like only only good, only for this highest, highest and best good, all of this, which is great. I mean, I, I'm all for highest, everyone's highest and best good. And then you have which I've been just seeing more on my Instagram lately. So I don't know what the algorithm's trying to tell me, but I have like other, you know, you sort of have the other spectrum, which is like, you can curse people. Sometimes somebody needs to be cursed. Like, you know, some like really getting into that baneful magic. So I do think the sort of just stepping closer and having a deeper understanding, it really just helps everybody on, on every end of the spectrum, I guess I would say. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, love and light is great, you know, even though it's it's poisonous plants and I talk about darkness and spooky stuff, like I still love what I do. It's still very illuminating, uh, you know. <laughs> yes, and I think like like you know, if we if we don't look at every facet of something, then you really don't have a full picture. And I think like a lot of what your work does is give like a really cool full picture of like the plant universe right like it's you know not only roses and uh petunias and and this and that right there's foxglove and and all the other that's like the only one I can name off the top of my head that's got some little which I love the way foxglove looks I think it's just so pretty I mean it's gorgeous so yeah I just think I I love the you know sort of exploring both sides and and stuff like that so I guess my clarifier question out of this would be the types of flower essences and, and herbs and, and florals that you provide and salves, they they can be used across a spectrum of magical practice, not just baneful, not just love and light. And there's there's all of that in between. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the when we look at, at the healing properties, the the applications and shadow work, the the flower essences are mainly things to help you through difficult life transitions, um, you know, things like death, loneliness, trauma, abuse, addiction, all of the, the really, really just sort of difficult things, dark things, air quotes, but not, you know, they can feel that way. That is what these, these plants are capable of, of kind of carrying us through, you know, so there is the cool witchy side of it. We can throw all of the witchy lore on there and the history there, and, and that's there. But when we're talking from a, a plant medicine approach, um, you know, plants are light and dark, and they have this intense healing ability, the, this ability to bring these things up, help us through sort of some of these difficult processes. So you can work with with baneful herbs, poisonous plants, or power plants, you know, in that way, kind of separated, you know, from that entire idea. So it's it's just this big sort of umbrella of of these the amazing capabilities that that these plants have. What mm-hmm. are some of your favorite herbs and flowers for you you yourself to work with? Well, the one I talk about the most is belladonna. 
Um, but since you brought up Foxglove, I'll talk about Foxglove because I had a really <clears throat> awesome Foxglove experience this past year uh, with a couple of living Foxglove plants. And I typically, this is one that I really only work with in flower essence. And it's also one of like the very few flower essences that I personally work with. For whatever reason, it's the foxglove flower essence. It's very good for, for heart healing, heart opening, balancing kind of input and output related to boundaries and things like that. And it's just awesome for any kind of like emotional difficulty, heartbreak, relationship situations, just all of that. And that's how I would typically work with it. Just taking it as a flower essence or literally putting the flower essence like on my heart. But then I got these living plants and they showed up and they weren't even supposed to be mine or stay here. Um, but one of the plants was like very, very vocal about, you know, it wanting to, to be there and be part of this process that I was going through. And so it wound up staying with me and it was in my bedroom for the entire time and it went through its whole little bloom process and it was just like this very much like solidarity sort of like this wounded warrior vibe and it was just really cool because it was not one of the the plants that initially grabbed my attention like belladonna or wolfsbane or henbane even though it is like spectacularly beautiful and you know you could argue more eye-catching than some of the others but it was just one that was kind of you know quiet and in the background and then up until this moment it was just like hey i'm here this is what i'm for this is what i'm going to help you with and it's really really cool that is such a cool story i love that i love that the plant really called to you i think that is such a cool experience how did that come through to you intuitively did you hear that like sort of as a voice or did it come through as sort of a knowing? So I had the plants and they were both supposed to go to my friend's house to go in his backyard. And then one of them wound up staying behind and I don't know why. And then it was during a, a fungi ceremony called plant medicine ceremony, but it was mushrooms um, that it was part of the the altar because we'll normally bring all the all the flowers, all the plants and things, and it's just this big altar sort of celebration for them. And the fox club was just there, and it was just all of a sudden, it was almost like this feeling of of what I would assume someone that has been in um, battle, the military, the armed forces, like fill in the blank, whatever you know, protector sort of thing um, you know they go through these things and then they're they're put back out into the regular world and then you kind of like run into each other and reconnect and there's like this sort of like brotherhood solidarity sisterhood um, just just connection and that really really just felt like that and then you know I was just like thanking it for being there and just really just connecting to it and just like sitting there and rubbing its soft little leaves and just like thanking it for like essentially sacrificing itself for me to be able to do what I needed to do hmm. in retrospect yeah tell us a little bit about writing your first book Poison Path Herbal what was it like to what was your writing process like and 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 what was sort of your inspiration behind writing that first book? Well, you know, it was after just sort of collecting all of this information that was kind of floating around out there and and really feeling 
the the sort of call and connection to the poison path and the witchcraft that I was practicing and wanting to sort of wrap that up and present it in a somewhat cohesive way. So like through my, my research and note taking and working with the plants physically, um, I started to make a lot of kind of non nonverbal, well, not nonverbal, um, mental connections in my mind that were just like, oh my gosh, like aha moments. And it just sort of wove into this, I don't know, I think it's cohesive, but it became this thing that stuck together. Um, and then I started writing about it. Uh, I've been, been blogging and, and doing things like that for a few years. And, and writing has always been basically what I wanted to do. So the, the plants were on board and started to put together like these little booklets that I was self-printing. Um, this was back in like 2017, just sort of like all the notes that I had at the time. And then that kind of evolved into what would become like a section of the bigger book. And so it was really like this drawn out process that started probably in 2017, the actual writing. And then it didn't, I think it was right around COVID 2020, the first time that it was supposed to come out. And then it didn't. And then there was a switch and then some more time went by. And so it's been like a really long time since since I even began doing it. And like a lot of the ideas are are still the same. But but, you know, things that that now I would totally explain differently or or frame differently. But yeah, it was a really cool process. And, and it's cool to to look back on it, too, and and see where it's all going and that's amazing. Yeah. I think it's super cool, super cool to, you know, publish your, your shit and, and, and get it all out there. And I think that's awesome. I, it has been such a great conversation. So great to have you here. I have one last question that I usually ask everybody, and I'm going to change it a little bit up to sort of match it to our conversation. And that question is what can someone who's listening right now, if they're interested, this has really piqued their interest in you know, poisonous flowers and, and herbs and stuff like that. What's one essence or ointment or oil that they could start with that would be a good starting place for them to work with and sort of open up this door? I would say hmm, they're all going to be good starting places depending on what you're looking for. So I would look at what plant sticks out to you. Um, it might be the name, it might be the way that it looks, it might be something about it, a spirit that it's connected to, um, you know, what plant jumps out at you. And it might feel like, oh, you know, this is just the, the typical, you know, witchiest answer, uh, but you'd be really, really surprised. So whichever one kind of sticks out, and then I would start looking at, you know, your reason for wanting to connect with that plant. Is it more for you know, just working with the plant spirit in general and getting to know it, or maybe, you know, you're wanting to incorporate it into like a specific like journey to the, the witch's Sabbath, which is a very, you know, specific sort of a thing. Then there's a specific ointment for that. Yeah, I would, I would see just kind of what plants pop out to you at first and they'll sort of tell you where to go. Love that advice. Thank you so, so much again for being here. Oh, can you tell people where they can find you? Where can they find you online? Where can they grab your book? 
Absolutely. So the book is available everywhere. You can get it at all of your metaphysical bookstores, Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can check out all of the formulas and things that we've been talking about, as well as my blog and all of the different updates at thepoisonersapothecary.com and follow on Instagram at poisonersapothecary. I do have a Patreon if you'd like to support me there that really goes into a lot more depth on, on individual plants and phytochemistry and, and some of the more scientific, scientific as well as deeply esoteric side of things. So Amazing. Lots of places to find you. Thank you so, so much again for taking the time out of your day and having this wonderfully poisonous conversation with us. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for the opportunity. And I look forward to, to listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you love the podcast and listen on Apple, please be sure to rate and leave a review. If you want more from Opening the Door, follow along on Instagram at Opening the Door Podcast. Have a question about psychic work or psychic development? Email openingthedoorpodcast at gmail.com and you might have your question included in one of our future Q&A episodes.